Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Well, good morning, everyone. You can have a seat. So good to be with you this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Michael, one of the leaders, pastors here. And I just want to mention, you might have heard it in my voice already. I was a bit sick this past week, so uh, you'll have to just listen extra careful if I can't speak a little loud. Uh, but I just relate to so many people who've been sick over this season. Um, but actually, I, w- I got myself, oh, thank you, water, got myself sick. Uh, that's my, my lovely wife. Thanks, Jasmine. Uh, we didn't plan that, by the way. Uh, but uh, I actually got myself sick on purpose just to contract my voice with uh, Pastor Dom's normal yelling that you get normally. I'm kidding. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. No, we love, uh, we love Dom's yelling, but, I, but uh, no, I'm kidding. I wanted to give you something different. So again, just, uh, just stay with me. Just listen carefully. I'll do my best to speak loudly. Uh, but it's so great to be with you, and whether you're just joining us online or you're here with us in person or, or connecting later this week, this morning we're continuing our Advent series that we started last week. And if you missed that, I just really encourage you to go back, go on YouTube, you can watch that. Uh, and if you've never heard of the word Advent before, that idea is new to you, uh, it, the word Advent simply, simply means arrival. Pastor Dom talked about that last week. And in this season of Advent, it's really a time where we learn to wait for the arrival of Jesus. And one of the things that Pastor Dom talked about was the importance of not rushing to Christmas. That the season of Advent, which Christians have been practicing for hundreds of years, has a certain wisdom for us as we learn to slow down and to wait and prepare for the arrival of Jesus. And when we learn to enter and embrace this difficult but important practice of waiting, we know how hard that is to do, but when we learn to do that and wait on God, God uses that to teach us new things and to reveal things in us that we would otherwise miss or maybe ignore. As you think about this, and maybe you've reflected on this even this past week, maybe you recognize that there are two different ways to think about waiting. That there's waiting and just doing nothing, or there's waiting and preparing in a certain way. And it's easy for us to just wait and just do nothing, right? We can just wait and hope that the thing that we've been waiting for will just fall on our lap or just magically kind of come together versus waiting in a way that recognizes the importance and the need to prepare in order to be ready for the thing that we're waiting for. Now, I don't know about you, but there are certain things that I love preparing for and certain things that I can't stand or I couldn't be bothered with. Uh, one of the things that I love preparing for is uh, getting ready to play hockey. It's been a few years since I've played, but I found uh, some hockey to play, just pick up regularly uh, close, close by, and I love just preparing for that. I'll, uh, Jasmine, my wife, will make fun of me, but the night before, I'll make sure my, my stick is taped and do all my stretches, you know, that I'm getting older, that's really important, and do all those dumb things that honestly don't really matter, but I love to do because I love to play hockey. But maybe you have something like that. What are the things that you prepare for, that you love to prepare for? What comes to mind? Maybe it's related to your work or something for your kids 
or maybe it's just preparing for an upcoming uh, vacation or a holiday or a get-together or a party with friends or family. And whatever it is, the truth is that for all of us, we all prepare for the things that are important to us. And because this is so true in all of our lives, that this is such almost a universal principle, one of the things that's easy to even observe in other people is we can know what they really care about based on how they prepare. And it's so easy for someone to wait or complain to an organization or to another person about something that they've been missing, that they feel they really need, that they, they want to meet their needs in some ways. But then when the opportunity comes to actually help prepare for that thing that's now coming after they've been waiting so long, suddenly they're not interested anymore. Preparing no longer is a priority, either because they've changed their minds or they've realized maybe they didn't care about it enough to begin with. And as we learn to enter this Advent season, Advent is a time where we're reminded how easy it is to ignore the need to prepare for something because it stopped being important to us. This is what happened to the people of Israel. They had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for this new thing that God promised he was going to do. But after all their waiting, they had forgotten the thing that they were waiting for and why it mattered to them in the first place. So when the time came to prepare, they no longer cared. And after all their waiting, we come to the Advent story in the Gospel of John that we're going to look at this week. And right at the beginning of this Gospel, the writer John begins to present the good news of what they've been waiting, that what they've been waiting for is finally here. And he does this first by reminding them of what they've been waiting for in the first place. Here's how he begins this Gospel. Here's what he says says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Wow, talk about a mouthful, right, to start off this morning. Whoever said that reading the Bible was easy? Anyone think that's easy to understand? You know, this is probably not even what you were expecting as an introduction a little bit to the Christmas story. Uh, but what John was doing here that I want to talk about a little bit is it's so important to set up the Christmas story and help prepare to learn about the gift of Jesus. Because in order to show that God is something, doing something new with the arrival of Jesus. At the same time, John wants us to see that Jesus is the one who was there since before time even began. And he does this by using two images to describe who Jesus is. One is the image of the Word, and the other is the image of light. Now, this morning, we don't have time to get into too much of what it means that Jesus, this image that Jesus is the Word, but just really quickly, I want to, it's important to understand uh, this image not only for who Jesus is, but how we read the Bible. That Jesus is this eternal living word who was there before creation, speaking the universe into existence and holding it all together and bringing even certain order. And again, we don't have time to go further this morning to talk about that, but I really encourage you, if you want to learn more about this image, what that means, come to one of our Bible studies. We talk about this often. Or you can even go back and, and watch one of our series that we did on the Bible. Uh, but the image I really want us to explore today and focus on is the image of Jesus as the light. This is such an important image for Jesus. And the reason that why we called the series that we're in, All is Bright, is because we believe Jesus is a light like no other. 
that he's this steady, eternal light that comes to us and shines in a way that no other light can, and in a way that the darkness can't understand or overcome. And this image of light, as you think about this, actually isn't that easy for us to understand in our world, because we have our own understanding of how, and our own ideas of how we think light should work. That, and, but Jesus is a different kind of light than that. One of the ideas we have of what light uh, should be that makes this hard for us to understand is we often have a flashlight view of God, or a flashlight view even of, of, of how light works. Uh, I don't know about you, I know a lot of areas in Montreal lost power. Last night we lost power for a few hours and we immediately knew where our flashlights were because we keep them in a certain drawer. To be honest, we keep that in the drawer partly because that's our go-to spot for our family. We're going to play hide-and-go-seek in the dark. We love to do that together. But we also know where our flashlights are, like many of you, because of a moment like this when the power goes out. That it's something that we tuck away in a, in a drawer or in a closet and we just keep for a last resort when there's no other lights when there's no other option or in a case of emergency, then we know to go take out the flashlight and to use it, but otherwise we forget about it. It's so easy for us, I think, to apply this flashlight view of light to the light of God or to the light of Jesus. That we can treat this light of Jesus only something that we take out as a last resort or only something that we look for in case of an emergency or only when it feels like everything around us is really dark and we have no other lights to turn to. But otherwise, it's something that we can easily ignore. And even more than this, because we have often this flashlight view of God, whenever we experience darkness and his light doesn't work the way that we think it should in those moments, we so easily doubt that he's even there with us at all. But the light of Jesus doesn't work how we often expect that it should. Instead, he's a steady, eternal, living light that was there even before the darkness, and he'll still be there even after there's no more darkness. And that should change how we even understand the the idea of darkness in the first place. That because of who Jesus is, there's no competition with the darkness. There's no cosmic battle between light and dark that we're not sure how it's going to end or who's going to win out. Because Jesus is the kind of light that's there even when things seem dark. And John begins his gospel by saying that this eternal light that has been there since the very beginning is now coming in a fresh, new way. He reminds the people of Israel that this is the same light even that was talked about already in the Old Testament from the writings that they grew up learning and mesmerizing as kids, memorizing as kids. And one of the places uh, that I want to look at where this light was talked about was in the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Maybe you remember, uh, if you were here last week, that we, ta- we looked at other parts of Isaiah. But here, I want, to look us at, want us to look at a section where he talks about this image of light and how it's meant to shape the people of Israel in a very particular way. I'll have it up on the screen. It's from Isaiah 60. Here's what he says. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The amazing promise and passage of scripture. And the people of Israel had forgotten that their identity was to be a people who were so shaped by this light that they reflected it in a way that all the nations around them would be drawn to this light and would come to know God. That was meant to be their identity, but they had failed to live this out. 
In fact, they had stopped trusting in the light and stopped reflecting it so much that they could no longer even imagine that the light that Jesus was going to bring wasn't just for them or wasn't just about them. And in this Advent season, as we prepare for Christmas, as we head in that direction, it's so easy for us to treat this season in the same way. That even if you call yourself a Christian and celebrate Christmas each year and know about the light of Jesus, you stop caring about being shaped by this light in a way that's reflected in the way you live to others. It's so easy to just say yes to the light and ignore being shaped by it. I meet so many Christians who don't even understand or care that, about what, what Christmas is or why it matters, let alone this season of, of Advent, because they just think, if I already committed my life to Jesus and I already know how this story ends, why does it matter to enter this season each year? But they miss that even after we say yes to the light, we need to continue to learn to wait and prepare and to enter this season in order to continue to be shaped by that light. When we lose this, one of the things that starts to happen is that we start thinking Christmas is just for us. Like the people of Israel, we start to see the light as only for ourselves. We quickly can lose hope in others, start to feel that maybe they're just too far off or that they're too much in the darkness for the light of Jesus to ever reach them. And maybe because of that, we stop praying for them or we, start, we stop modeling Jesus' light to them in those different spaces where we interact with them. But instead, we're meant to reflect God's light in a way that we learn to pay attention to how he's at work in people's lives, in ways that we don't expect, and to have a renewed hope for the people that we would might otherwise dismiss or just ignore. Maybe this Advent season for you is a time to think about the ways you've stopped reflecting the light of Jesus or cared about growing in that light. Maybe it's time to recognize the ways you've begun to see this light, maybe just as a last resort or something to only pull out in case of an emergency. Or maybe you started believing that the light of Jesus is only for you, that there are people in your life maybe that you've stopped praying for or places even where you've stopped trying to enter or be present in in order to reflect God's light. And he wants to give you just a renewed sense of just hope and a deeper love for the people around you that you would otherwise forget about. So Jesus, as we continue, introduces us to the Christmas story, again, by telling us that the light of God that was from the Old Testament is now coming in a fresh new way in Jesus. And he does this by first reminding us that it's the same light connected to the story of Israel. And now, as he continues his introduction to this good news and to prepare us for Jesus' arrival, he's going to turn to a special person in the Bible named John the Baptist, Maybe you've heard of him before, uh, but you really can't have Christmas or the Christmas story without John the Baptist. Now, before I move on, I just want to make clear we're talking about two different Johns right now, okay? There's John, the writer of the gospel we've been talking about, and now he introduces John the Baptist, and it's not the same John. Everybody got that? We're okay so far? Makes me think of my daughter, uh, Rosie, six years old. In her class this past year, she had in her class an Amelia, Emilia, Milo, Milo, Elmo, all these names that were super similar, but she was able to figure it out, so I think we're going to be okay, right? So just pay attention whether I say John the writer or John the Baptist. We can do this. Uh, But John the Baptist is, is someone who's introduced in every one of the Gospels in the Bible because he plays such a special role in preparing God's people for the arrival of Jesus. Here's how John, the Gospel writer, introduces us to John the Baptist. Here's what he says. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. 
John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. As you read that, I think this passage really captures, in just a few sentences here, John's whole life calling. That his whole life was dedicated to this special purpose or the special role of preparing others for the coming of Jesus. And any Jew, anyone listening at the time, listening to these words and hearing that John the Baptist was described as someone who was sent by God, would immediately think of the prophets of the Old Testament. When the Jewish people thought of the prophets of the Old Testament, they knew that these were, were prophets who were those who had a special calling and purpose in life to speak on God's behalf by calling the people to prepare, by reminding them of the things that they'd forgotten and the things that they'd stopped believing in, and by calling them back to God and calling them to recommit their lives to Him. And John the Baptist, when they would hear this, would know he's the same kind of prophet, that like the prophets of old, he's sent by God not only to remind his people of the light that they'd forgotten about, but to prepare them for how this light was now coming in a new and fresh way. And he did this by trying to get their attention in ways that were unexpected. You can go and I uh, just encourage you to read some of the different Gospels, the first few chapters that will talk about John the Baptist, and you can see how he tries uh, to get their attention. But just like the prophets of old, John the Baptist was someone who was easy for his own people to ignore because he didn't get the, their attention in the way that they expected them to. As we enter the season of Advent, it's so easy for us as well to ignore John the Baptist and his mention, message to prepare and for, for some of the same reasons that would have, uh, the people at the time would have ignored him, but especially because of how we're shaped by our world today. Uh, and I just want to have some examples on the screen. You might think of your own, but I thought of two ways that I want to highlight that we're really shaped in our culture that make, us e make it easy for us to ignore John the Baptist and his call to prepare. The first way is because it's inconvenient. Maybe that's familiar to you if you've read uh, Pastor Dom's book on Christmas, this Christmas book. If you haven't, really encourage you to do that. You can pick it up later as we talked about. But in it, he talks about how much of our world and our decisions are shaped by what's most convenient. Uh, this week was Cyber Week. They don't call it Cyber Monday anymore. It's Cyber Week. And I don't know about you, but I was bombarded through emails and social media by all my favorite stores advertising things 50% off. And not only that, but they curated some of my favorite items. And all I had to do was click a few times, and it would come, and it would arrive in a day or two. That that's the world that we live in now. Compare that to John the Baptist, a man who we read about him tells people to leave the city, to go out and to see him in a desert, to travel all the way there, only for him to tell them to prepare more for something that he claims is good news, but that they have to wait even longer for. Like, we hear that or we read that, and because of this, we don't even want to hear about John the Baptist at all. It's easy to just say, forget this guy. Like, skip, delete, let's move on to the part about baby Jesus. Let's just go there. Right? But another reason that I want to talk about why John and his message are so easy to ignore is because the, how he tries to get our attention isn't flashy. And we are conditioned so much to pay attention to those things that are flashy. We live in a world where our attention spans have become shorter and shorter. And, and scientists or social, you know, whatever they're called, sociologists have studied this year by year, that our attention spans are getting shorter, and we're constantly bombarded by things that are competing for our attention every day. That the people that are trying to sell us things now are working harder and harder, and they've gotten smarter every year to, to, to market things in a way that get our attention. 
Last year, uh, you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought of the fact that last year we went, my family and I uh, went to a place called Alumi. It's right here in Laval. Maybe you've heard, it bef- heard of it before. It's just down the 15. And uh, it's this, basically this, this tourist attraction, this place you can go to that is a village of lights. I think I have a, a picture of that somewhere. Uh, that's just an example of part of what it looks like. But it's this whole village of lights that you can pay to. It's only open during a certain part of the season, part of the year. You can pay to go and walk around, uh, and it's really great, and they try to get you to go see it before it closes for the year. Uh, And if you haven't gone, you should go. It's really exciting. But when I thought about the Lumi experience, and I was thinking about it this week as I was preparing, I thought that this so well represents, or is almost the uh, kind of epitome of the kind of flashiness that we're drawn to, or that gets our attention over other things. It's like this big, flashy thing that immediately gets our attention for a short season, and then when it's gone, we don't know what to do with ourselves until we look for the next big, flashy thing. We're so wired to just pay more attention and to care about more about the things that are flashy. Maybe that's not the best example or even the best word for you uh, that comes to mind, but what I'm trying to say is we're wired to really pay attention to the things that are more exciting or to the things that we think will bring us more immediate happiness, or give us more bang for our buck, or the things that seem extra special or enticing in some sort of way. And if it's something that tries to get our attention that doesn't fit this criteria, we won't even blink our eyes at it. And what's really at stake here, because we're so shaped by this, is that we have a tendency to not only pay attention to things that are flashy, but because of this, it's so easy for us to ignore God and the ways that He wants to get our attention. It's so easy for us to, to not recognize our voice or His voice or trust how He's at work when things seem boring, when they aren't flashy or exciting, or at times when an exciting moment has passed and the next exciting moment still feels far away, we don't know in that space how to pay attention and to commit to God in those moments of quiet And more than that, when we're shaped by this, we begin to even associate flashiness with God's presence. And we do this in so many different ways. But then we wonder why it seems like he's absent in those moments that feel in between or feel more mundane or boring. And we can do the same thing as well for the church. We can treat the church like it should be this big attraction. We become people who think it's the church's job to constantly find new ways to be exciting and relevant and to keep us entertained in order for us to stay committed. Because otherwise, we'll just move on to the next big or trendy thing. Or we'll only be committed to the church when there's a big event or a special holiday, but otherwise, it's just not worth our time. Advent is a time where we're reminded by John the Baptist of his call to prepare and to commit even when things aren't flashy. And he calls us to prepare in a way that we then begin to see how the light of Jesus gets our attention in ways that are so much different than the rest of the world. Because he's a different kind of light. John the Baptist says, get ready, get ready, because this light won't be what you expect. And it won't be what you're used to giving your attention to. He works in ways that are often subtle or steady or even silent and not flashy or bright in the way that we assume or understand. And when Jesus comes, John says, he will model a kind of faithfulness and a quiet obedience that will push against all of our expectations. And so to prepare for this light, we need to be people who learn to move from flashiness 
to faithfulness. Let me say that again. To really prepare to receive the light of Jesus, we need to be people who move from being shaped by the flashiness of this world to be people who are shaped by God's faithfulness. To become a person who's faithful even when it feels boring or even when it feels like a waste of time or even when it seems less exciting than some of the other options that are out there. When we learn to do this, we begin to pay attention to how God is at work in those moments or those spaces in between and outside of all the flashiness of our world. This Advent, what would it mean as you think about this to move from flashiness to faithfulness? To become someone who's committed, not only, uh, you know, not only committed or to pay attention at times when it seems exciting, but to learn to be someone who's paying attention and growing and trusting in God, even in those moments that seem really boring or slow or when the payoff isn't clear. At Advent, God sends John the Baptist to prepare us for this light that's coming in a new way because if we don't prepare to learn to pay attention beyond the flashiness, we can, lose, we can miss or ignore the light altogether. And he has a particular message to help us prepare to receive the light of Jesus. A bit later in John's gospel, some people are beginning to take notice of John the Baptist and what he's doing, and they ask him kind of what he's all about or what he's there for, or what he's preparing for. And here's what he says. It says, John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, Clear the way for the Lord's coming. And so yet again, you probably notice we're reminded of how this story of Christmas is connected to the old story, the old, the old Testament, as John again quotes the prophet Isaiah. And his message is to prepare in a way that clears the way for Jesus. Now, if you take some time, again, to read about John the Baptist and his message and some of the other gospel stories, you'll see that another way that he communicates this same message is by using the word repent. He'll tell people, repent. And likely you've heard that word before. Maybe it's new to you. But for many of us, depending on our past experiences with church or how this word has, used, has been used, it can carry with us a lot of wounds. We can carry a very negative meaning, uh, especially if it was maybe taught or used in a way that was really shaming or judgmental and unhelpful. But at the root of this very basic idea of the word repent is the, the, the idea of making a term or as we often say here at the church, doing a 180. Um, and part of that is just to recognize that saying yes to the good news of Jesus is to move towards him in a way that there, we recognize there are things that we also need to say no to and to leave behind. And here in this verse, John shares this message of repentance by saying, clear the way. And if you imagine a road or a path is the image he wants to give. He's saying that if you're going to prepare to follow Jesus, then you need to clear the things off the path that will distract you or turn you away from following him. One way that I was uh, thinking about this idea as I was preparing this week was the expression that we're all familiar with of a deer that's caught in headlights. We all kind of know this expression. An image comes to mind. Uh, most of us, though, probably have never actually seen this or experienced this, but we all know about this phenomenon of this idea of uh, a deer who is, who's trying to cross the road and they look up and see headlights coming on to them and they kind of freeze. Like they're seduced by almost this flashiness in a way that they can't move forward. They're stuck on the road even though that thing coming at them likely will, will kill them or at least cause them harm. And they can't look away. I think this is maybe a helpful way to think about our need for repentance. That as we imagine ourselves moving forward on a path, 
we can be as well seduced by the kinds of flashy things that compete with the light of Jesus. They're the kinds of things that aren't only distracting because they demand and steal our attention, but they can also be dangerous, especially when we can no longer look away. But the repentance that John the Baptist calls us to is the kind that really helps us recognize and admit the ways that we've been seduced by flashy things, things that can blind us and keep us from seeing the light of Jesus. And before we move on from this idea, there's one uh, really important thing about repentance that was really so helpful for me when it was first explained uh, that I want to share, which is that to repent or to do a 180, to do a turn, is never just saying no to something. It's never just saying no and then feeling like you don't know what to do next or you're almost left alone without knowing where to go. It's always a no in order to say yes to the light of Jesus. For years, for me, growing up in church and learning about Jesus, and as I got older, it was getting to the point where I was thinking about whether to say yes to Jesus or not. And I remember just really feeling uh, uninterested or unsure because of the, how I was understanding the idea of repentance. That not only did it seem uninteresting to me, but I was actually scared of the idea. Because I really thought that to say no to things that I knew were hurting me or destroying me or making me feel stuck, that if I say no to them, I would be left even more in the dark. That I wouldn't, I wouldn't know where to go. I wouldn't know what to do. That there would be this emptiness. But repentance can only really truly be understood when the things we see that the things that we're turning from and our old way of living is compared to the light of Jesus. And it's not an easy step to take. It takes a lot of courage, but it's a step that never leaves us in the dark. One great Christian writer and thinker of our time who talks about this idea says this idea this way. He says, we'll have it on the screen, repentance sets us on the way traveling in the light. Maybe for you, this Advent season, this idea of repentance is, is new for you. Maybe you're just, your first step or your next step towards Jesus is just to admit that there are things in your life that seemed flashy at the time but didn't end up being what they promised to be. Maybe it's just recognizing that. Or maybe for you, you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time and you've stopped taking John's message seriously because you thought or you thought about repentance as just a one-time thing. While at the same time, maybe you've been ignoring things that have been drawing your attention away from him. Advent is really a time for all of us to pause and to slow down and to take John's message seriously once again. To slow down and to pay attention to the things that have grabbed our attention and pulled us away or have kept us from experiencing the light of Jesus in a fuller and a deeper way. As I uh, start to wrap up this morning, I'm going to invite the the band to come up. And I want to return now to uh, John, the gospel writer, as he continues his introduction to the gospel story by sharing what happened to God's own people when they ignored John the Baptist and they failed to prepare for the coming of Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. John, the gospel writer, reminds us that if we ignore this call to prepare, we will likely ignore the light of Jesus as well, that we can miss him. 
that even those who were part of the story all along didn't recognize Jesus' arrival after all their waiting because they had ignored the call to prepare. Advent is meant to be a season to help us prepare in a way that we begin to see the light of Jesus more clearly, that we recognize him in ways and in places that we would least expect, that we see renewed hope for how he's entering our lives and the lives of those around us. It's a time where instead of rushing to Christmas or to being pulled immediately towards all the things that are demanding our attention, all the flashiness of marketing in our world, that we take a moment to slow down and consider what makes the light of Jesus different, a light like no other. So this Advent season, as you think about this, how will you prepare? Will you maybe take this time to admit to God, to say, I was really committed in those times that it was flashy or it was exciting, but now I need your help to learn to really be faithful. I need your help to guide me and to lead me by your light, even in those moments that seem boring or dark or difficult or painful, to be reminded of the kind of faithfulness you have for us. And would you take this season to believe once again that God wants to prepare you in a way that others who seem far from him will be drawn again to this light because of what he wants to do in and through you and because of the way you reflect this light to others, to fill you with a renewed sense of hope as you model faithfulness in a world that's so desperate for that and who's so sick, maybe, of all the flashiness. This Advent, will you prepare by asking God to clear away the things that are keeping you from moving towards him and from seeing his light more clearly and to trust in how that light is coming to the nations, to the world around us? I'm going to invite you to stand as we close. And uh, the band sang it earlier, but I just want them... Uh, They're just going to lead us in in part of the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And as we sing this, I just want you to think, uh, as you think about this world faithfulness, about what makes God's light different than all the lights or all the flashiness of the world around us. What makes his light a light like no other? And as you think about that, what would it mean to just commit or to recommit to being shaped by this light as we worship him? Let the band lead us and close us in prayer. Let's sing.
This idea of repentance or preparing is really hard for us. And so we ask for your courage and your strength. But we pray as well that as we learn to do this together, to be shaped in this way, that we would always keep in front of us your light. That we say no to the things that are keeping us from, from following you more clearly, from experiencing more the fullness of what you have for us. And so we just ask you, as we, again, as we learn to enter the season, it's a slow down that you would give us a renewed hope for how you're working in even the, the, the places that feel like the darkest areas of our lives. That you would give us a renewed hope for the people around us that seem too far away. And that you would continue to shape us by your light. That we would reflect you to others. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. A couple things before you go. One, if you uh, just encourage you to stick around. We have a lovely prayer team in our prayer space who would love to pray for you. Uh, and next week, we mentioned earlier, but next week is our uh, kids' Christmas presentation. Uh, so we'd just love for you just even to think about a neighbor or a friend or family member who you'd like to invite to that. We'd love to have them join us. So thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Have a good week.